far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that two of them think doing a podcast called Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea is a pretty neat idea. They are Jeff and Brian. Hi there. This is Jeff. I'm with my friend Brian. And this is our Thanksgiving bonus episode. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? Well, I'm feeling like my pentameter is a little bit less than iambic today. Oh, is it really? Why is that? Because <laughs> we're going to talk about poetry. <laughs> All right, yes. I don't know how much iambic pentameter there is in any of these poems. but I don't know that I... there is a single word of it. <laughs> no. no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Well, poetry features very prominently in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so we felt we needed to do an episode based on poetry. Oh, yes. Quite the history do we have with poetry, right? Well, yeah. Well, you write or have written poetry, haven't you? Oh, yes. I've, I've written a lot of poetry. So how did that start? Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. So you want to hear their first story? Well, oh yeah, it, of it, course. It, start, it started, believe it or not, with a bar and steamed clams. <laughs> okay, so it was a limerick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, actually, I'll tell you the story. I was in my classroom when I was very young. I can't quite recall what grade it would have been in—maybe second or third or first or something. You know, early, early grade. This is the same school and the same teacher, actually, that we talked about before when I was talking about how my reading was right, stunted right. by the teacher. At one point, the teacher came to us and said, we're, we're going to be studying poetry for the next few weeks. Do any of you know any poetry? And I said, yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> I was very fond of uh, going out to eat with my parents, and one of the places we ate was a place called, I believe it was called Kaminsky's. They had some great steamed clams, and uh, but the bathroom walls were covered with uh, <laughs> poetry. Poetry. <laughs> yes. So in my second grade enthusiastic youth, I told the teacher, I stood up in front of the class and told the teacher I knew a poem. And the poem went as I bet such. I could guess what poem it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I don't think oh. you could. I mean, no? I've, I've okay. told you this story before, but I don't think, think you would have heard this particular I don't poem. remember it. Because this particular bathroom in this particular restaurant was quite eloquent. I mean, not just your average uh, <laughs> limerick, as you said. Right. So this was the poem that I recited in front of my class. <laughs> God made woman out of lace. He didn't have enough, so he left a little space. God made man out of string. He didn't have enough, so he left a little thing. <laughs> and you can only imagine where I headed immediately following that recitation <laughs> yes. and somebody got a phone call i'm sure oh yes my parents were called in then all kinds of... 
chaos ensued. Uh, but the ironic upshot of that particular event, which I don't recall ever being punished or ever having been told that what I did was wrong. Right. But I did, in fact, write my first poem in that class. And it was entitled, If I Were Not Me. Okay. <laughs> do you remember it? I do indeed. In fact, the odd thing is that uh, recently we were going through some papers at uh, my sister's house and I found the original copy in my original tall, <laughs> very carefully drafted letters. Is that what you sent me the other day? I remember seeing this picture of this kid's scrawl. Was that that <laughs> yeah. poem? <laughs> yes. Yep. That is it. I have it here at my desk. The poem was entitled, If I Were Not Me, and it goes as such. If I were not me, I'd rather be a bee. I'd fly through the flowers and take little showers. And if a boy caught me, he would set me free. And then I would be a very lucky bee. <laughs> there we go. Right there. And and so the other side of this, well, the irony of it is that the teacher was so impressed with this little poem. You know, I was very young, very, very young. Right. That she made it a point for me to read it in front of the entire school in an assembly uh, later in the week. Oh. <laughs> so it was actually my first, uh, well, I wasn't published, but I certainly performed it in a, in a live audience. Right, right. <laughs> so that's how I got started in poetry. I would think that that experience of reading The Bathroom Wall would have turned you <laughs> off of poetry after getting that initial response yes <laughs> oh it was so much fun in times past i've gone through different phases and i've tried to write different pieces and one that i'm particularly proud of which i know i didn't tell you i was going to read it it's a haiku that i wrote oh okay okay so this uh, i didn't give it a title but here's the haiku that i wrote Weeping willow bends, drinking in the summer sun, dappled sunlight dance. Wow. All right. <laughs> Stand up and applaud. Ah, oh, there you go. Yay! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I remember you and I had a story about poems. Yeah, we were riding in the car and I have no idea how we started talking about poetry but you were telling me that you were writing poetry or some of the poems that you wrote, and you had written one, I believe, that was titled I. Right, yes. Like the singular me, I type of a thing. Yes. Did you have more than one poem or just the one? Well, the one you're talking about, it's interesting because um, <laughs> I was uh, I read a number of different poets, but one of them that I was really fascinated with was E.E. E. Cummings. And I, you may or may not be familiar with his work, but what is fascinating about the way that he writes is he kind of uses the page that he writes on as a structure. And the way that he places the words on the page and uses capitals or not capital letters and very rarely uses any kind of punctuation. Okay. So it was... An homage, if you will, the poem that I wrote to E.E. Uh, e. Cummings, it was couplets. I mean, very short poem, and uh, I was very proud of it at the time. I remember that particularly. 
Okay, yes. So anyway, I wasn't, I don't know how to say this, like impressed and amazed. I was more like (laughs) poking fun and teasing. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. I remember that. I remember that so distinctly. I I, I got a kick out of it, you know. And that's when I decided to write a poem right then and there. That's right. You did. And instead of I, I, I titled it me. Coincidentally, which then is like the title of in the title of your first poem. Mm-hmm. But mine was just me, and I don't have the whole thing. Well, in the car, I I didn't write write the whole thing. That's right. I just wrote first two stanzas or something like that, which was just me, 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 me. I don't want to gloat. Me, 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 me. It clears my throat. <laughs> Me, 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 me. I could be wrong. Me, 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 me. Sounds like a song. (laughs) So that is about all I said for that whole trip. (laughs) I couldn't get over myself. Oh, gosh. It was hysterical. (laughs) So I had told that story over and over and over. And I'm at work and I'm with the ladies that I work with and somehow they were talking about poetry and there was this website. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was probably something just like poetry.com. It might even still exist. I have Mm -hmm. no idea, Mm -hmm. but it's where aspiring poets can submit their poems and it might be selected and published in a book. (laughs) And, and I was trying to explain that, that whole thing is about selling books, not finding right. quality poetry. Yeah, exactly. And I said, to, <laughs> to prove it, I am going to finish this poem and submit it mm-hmm. and see if it gets selected to be in one of their volumes that they <laughs> they try to sell me. And sure enough, it did. Right. <laughs> so I, I wrote the whole, I got, I don't remember it. I couldn't find it. I didn't save it. But I wrote more of it, submitted it. It was selected for $69.99. I could get volume number whatever, which was going to include my poem and all of that. And I was just like, oh, come on. (laughs) See, (laughs) you know this isn't a good poem. (laughs) I think it's the fourth worst in the universe. Oh, gosh, that's funny. But the third worst poetry in the world was considered the Vogon poetry. That's correct. In fact, the Vogons knew that their poetry must be bad because <laughs> they used it as a torture device. <laughs> right. In fact, the, the an excerpt from the book says, The prisoners sat in poetry appreciation chairs. Strapped in. Ah, you gotta strap them in. Yeah. Mogan suffered no illusions as to the regard their works were generally held in. Their early attempts at composition had been part of a bludgeoning insistence that they be accepted as properly evolved and cultured race. But now the only thing that keeps them going was sheer bloody mindedness. (laughs) Right. There are electrodes strapped to the prisoners' temples. They are attached to a battery of electronic equipment, imagery intensifiers, rhythmic modulators, 
alliterative residulators, and simile dumpers, all designed to heighten the experience of the poem and make sure that not a single nuance of the poet's thought was lost. Right, right. And I guess it never really dawned on me, but when you're listening to it or reading it, mm -hmm. it's pretty much gibberish. It seems like it, yes. But everybody has a Babelfish, mm -hmm. and that is translated into their language. So what we are reading is the English translation <laughs> of a Vogon poem. <laughs> yep, yep, that's for sure. Since prosthetic Vogon jelts in pure Vogon style backed out at the last minute, we needed an emergency replacement to recite this poem. Oh, okay. And you may remember me mentioning in the first podcast I ever listened to called the 42 cast. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Right. Well, the host of the 42 cast is Nathan Laws. Mm -hmm. And he has graciously offered to step in and recite Prosetnik Volgon Jeltz's poem in his absence. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Oh, freddled grunt bugly, thy micturations are to me as plurdled gabble blotkits on a lurgid bee. Group, I implore thee, my foonting turling drones, and hooptrously drangle me with crinkly bindle wordles. Or I'll rend thee in the gobblewarts with my blurgle crunchion. See if I don't. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. <laughs> amazing. Beautifully done. Oh, gosh. That's great. Yes. Doesn't he have the voice for a podcast? Oh, man. He's got a nice sonorous voice. <laughs> sonorous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That I guess that is the word for it. I, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what does this poem mean? Right. We right. have we have read this, and I've done an attempt to kind of figure out what it means, and gave up pretty quickly because there's no real <laughs> context. <laughs> right, and I think that's why they go into such detail about the uh, device that you're strapped to. Because I think those devices help you understand the context of this. Although, as you read through these words, some of them have, you know, a related English word that right. I think are meant to be implied here. Yes. Well, so what so, I was going to say is uh -huh. that I think we can figure out what this poem means if we work backwards. Okay. If we can figure out what the end means then we have some context of what the previous words would mean. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. rend thee in the gobblewarts with my blurgle crunchin? I yes. think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean... <laughs> what they're talking about there. Right. Crunchin is not a, not a... I mean, it's a word that's not common, but used in the English language as a, as a, a striking device. Yes. You know? So, and we all yeah, know what the gobberworts are. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So now that is the threat. So hooprously drangle me with crinkly bindlewordles. Okay. He wants to be hooptiously drangled with crinkly bindlewordles, or else he's going to rend thee in the gobblewarts. So what then must hooptiously drangle and bindlewordles? 
be. Right. Well, hoopchiously, right? We should interpret that as being hoopy right. or being good, right? Yes. Okay, so that, that means hoopchiously, like happily or gladly or something like that. Yes. Drangle, meaning I, I we assume like drip me through or pull me through. Okay. Me with crinkly bindle wordles. Now, bindle word, uh, I don't know. Something nice, something soft, bindle. I don't know. What do you think? Bindle wordles. Hoopsley drangle. So happily, happily drag me, drag me. A, yeah, but not through. really drag, but kind of drag. Right, right. Crinkly bindle wordles, like tickle it's gonna me, be... like you know. Yes, something like that. Is that what you think? I I'm thinking that's. I think that's pretty close. Let's go up now. Group, I implore thee. I didn't know if group was a, a, like people, or if group was more of just like an expression, mm-hmm. like group, like come on or hey, I implore thee. Funting churling drones. Funting is could be interpreted as a more of a derogatory cursing type of mm-hmm, word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what would a turling drone be does i think they mentioned turling drones or something to that a similar word in the book earlier as oh gosh i can't remember what it was now but as a group of people or a group a groups of people okay group of people okay yes like like uh so is he saying listen my friends i mean you know you have to assume that uh, yes. to to evoke on friends would mean something entirely <laughs> yes. different yes. but he's basically saying listen my friends and drag me through <laughs> these <laughs> crinkly bit <bindle> worlds <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> uh, right and lurgid we well i mean are you going on to the last the first part of the sentences right oh yeah mm-hmm. okay Lurgid would mean like poisoned or or diseased, right? Right. So is the bee the same as a bee? I think so. Yeah. And plurtled gabble blotchets. On a lurgid bee, like ugly warts or or blisters or something like yes, that. Yes. Okay. Know? Yeah. Like festering blisters. Festering blisters on, on a diseased a... bee. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, freddled grunt bugly, thy micturations are to me. So, freddled grunt bugly. I don't, that's the one, that's the one that's a little bit tougher because I, micturations, I can definitely see as an English word, meaning the, the actions that you take or the, yes. the things that you do. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that's the thought freddled I grunt bugly, is he referring to his friend or his best friend or his lover <laughs> i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with grunt bugly meaning lover i like okay, those <laughs> i like that oh yeah there you go i'm gonna mean is is tired or worn out right right oh yep. worn out lover your <laughs> actions are to me like Festering blisters on a diseased bee. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh, I'm begging of you, my 
friends. Friends. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. My special friends. My yes. To happily drag me <laughs> with crinkly oh uh dragging me with crinkly um like crinkly like crepe stuff right. or right, right, um, right. bindle wordles bindings. Yes, okay. Like like if his uh like like a scrunchie. You know how the elastic right. scrunchie is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so hoopsiously drag me with crinkly scrunchies mm-hmm. or I will rend thee in the gobblewarts with my blurgle crunching. See if I don't. So hey, you heard it here first. <laughs> we have we have analyzed we have analyzed the poem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I don't think anybody could have done it any better. Not a oh, single I don't, soul. No, <laughs> no. So it is said that the second worst poetry in the universe is from the Asgoths of Kriya. And there is an excerpt from the book that describes an incident involving this poetry. Right. It says, during a recitation of their poet master grunthos the flatulent of his poem ode to a small lump of green putty i found in my armpit one midsummer morning four of his audience died of internal hemorrhaging and the president of the mid-galactic arts nobbling council survived by gnawing one of his own legs off <laughs> yes <laughs> and when we were watching the bbc tv show in the graphics as we mentioned they put a lot of these poems in there. So if you were actually looking and reading, you got to see what this poem was actually like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because of the great psychological damage the reading inflicts on its listeners, <laughs> I've asked brain care specialist Gag Hellfront to recite this poem. Wonderful. Oh, to a small lump of green putty I found in my armpit one midsummer morning. Putty, putty, putty. Green putty. Green pin. Grampitate morning. Prid summer. Gordonati. Discovery. Huh. Putty. Armpit. Armpit putty. Not even a particularly nice shade of green. Hmm. The author of this poem must have personality disorders beyond the dreams of analysts. He would be one of my most profitable clients. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so we thank Gag for coming in and, and getting us through this gently. Yes. Nobody had to gnaw a leg off or anything like that. Right. Very good. Something we didn't mention when we were watching the the TV show is Mm -hmm. that there's a change that they made to the TV show that's not in any other versions of the book. Okay. Or the radio series. Mm Mm-hmm. In those, Grunthos was disappointed by the poem's reception. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he was about to embark on a reading of his 12-book epic entitled My Favorite Bathtime Gurgles. And that's when his intestine strangled him. Right. Strangled him to death. Yep. But in the TV show, it was changed to oh, really? Zen and the Art of Going to the Lavatory. 
And there was an excerpt of it up on the screen. <laughs> oh, wow. So when I think obscenely biological, Fort Prefect comes into mm-hmm. mind. Right. However, he wasn't available. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So I wondered if there was anybody else that might be versed in the obscenely biological. Oh, and I thought okay. of Eccentrica. Ah, yes. So <laughs> Perfect. she has agreed to recite this poem. Fantastic. Zen and the art of going to the lavatory. Relax mind, relax body, relax bowels, relax. Do not fall over. You are a cloud. You are raining. Do not rain. Whilst train is standing at a station. Move with the wind. Apologize where necessary. (laughs) (laughs) The seriousness of which Eccentrica was able to read that was brilliant. And and it's hard to imagine it being considered poor poetry with the way she reads it. (laughs) (laughs) Eccentrica brings a level of class. (laughs) Oh, quite high, quite high. (laughs) So now we get to the worst poetry in the universe, and this is a bit controversial. Mm -hmm. In the original radio series... It is said to be a gentleman by the name of Paul Neil Milne Johnstone. On the LP, the name was scrambled, and in the book, it was changed to Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings. Right. So my research leads me to believe that there was a real Paul Neil Milne Johnstone, and he lived from 1952 to 2004. Wow. Fantastic. He attended Brentwood School in Essex with Douglas Adams. He was the editor of Broadsheet, the Artsphere magazine. Mm-hmm. This magazine kind of included mock reviews by Douglas Adams and some of Johnstone's poetry. I also read that Johnstone achieved moderate prominence in the poetry world as an editor and festival organizer. Hmm. One of the festivals he organized was the 1977 Cambridge Poetry Festival. Fantastic. I believe this guy was real. Of course, yes. I 100% agree. Try that again. I 100% agree. (laughs) There are some that believe that he's still fictitious. Mm. What I do not understand, and it makes his being fictitious believable, is why his actual poetry is so hard to find. Mm -hmm. If he's got all these poetry credentials, why can't you find any of it? (laughs) Especially when The Hitchhikers came out. Mm-hmm. You would think he would just publish a book of poetry because it would have sold. Mm-hmm. Granted, hard to put out a book when you know it's going to be bought because Douglas Adams <laughs> said it was the worst poetry in the universe. <laughs> but he could have sold a lot of books. Mm-hmm. One article I found stated that Douglas Adams was not a fan of his poetry because it's always about dead swans. Right. I was able to find one example of Mr. Johnstone's poetry online. It supposedly appeared in that before-mentioned broadsheet, The Artsphere magazine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Since this is a real poem by a real person, rather than a character from the book, I thought a real person should read it. Okay, great. 
So Dr. Julie Lesnick has agreed to read the short two-line excerpt of the only poetry I could find attributed to Paul Neil Milne Johnstone. The crippled swan slowly easing his stiffened wings, feebly trying to discourage death-stalking shadows with whispered hiss. <laughs> so that's it. That's that's all we have on on that poem or his poetry, and it is indeed about a dead swan. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and and it's funny because he could certainly have had all those chops that they talk about in the poetry world, but not be a good poet and therefore not be actually published. That, but that's you know, true. You know, it's it's always a possibility. <laughs> so for an example of the worst poetry in the universe by the character Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings from the book, you also have to pay attention to the BBC TV show graphics. It was a difficult task, but I discovered that Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings has two granddaughters. <laughs> They wish to remain anonymous and to keep their whereabouts unknown. However, <laughs> I was able to get one of them to recite their grandmother's poem by oh. threatening to tell the Mid-Galactic Arts Noveling Council who and where they were. <laughs> there was a small fight about who had to recite this poem and the older of the two lost. So oh, okay. she will recite it. Very good. The dead swans lay in the stagnant pool. They lay, they rotted, they turned around occasionally. Bits of flesh dropped off them from time to time and sank into the pool's mire. They also smell a great deal. <laughs> Could she have sounded any more bored? <laughs> oh, it's perfect. A perfect so, rendition. It was a perfect rendition. That's the end of the poetry in the books. Mm -hmm. However, this series contains many songs. And a song can be described as poetry set to music. Mm -hmm. Especially the songs in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. With rare exception, is the music ever established? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The first song that's ever mentioned comes even before the Vogon poetry, right. is the Orion mining song about mm -hmm. that old jank spirit. Right. Uh, we used it in a commercial with Eccentrica Columbus mm -hmm. last season. And so, to refresh your memory, here is Eccentrica reciting the lyrics of the song. Oh, don't give me none more of that old jank spirit. No, don't give me none more of that old jank spirit. For my head will fly, my tongue will lie, my eyes will fry, and I may die. Won't you pour me one more of that sinful, old, jank spirit? Well, I think every song and every poem is better when it's read by Eccentrica. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. So the radio series and the book of its scripts is the only place to hear or read the serious cybernetics company song called Share and Enjoy. For those who may not have heard it, we must warn you that unfortunately 
another of the computing errors for which the company is justly famous means that the robot's voice boxes are exactly a flattened fifth out of tune, and the result <laughs> sounds something like this. Share and enjoy, share and enjoy, journey through life with a plastic boy. Girl by your side, can you pal be your guide? And when it breaks down or starts to annoy, or cries when it moves and gives you no joy, cause it seeks at your hat, or it sets with your cat, great soil on your wall, or rips off your door, and you get to the point you can't stand anymore. Bring it to us, we won't give a fig, we'll tell you. Only slightly worse. (laughs) (laughs) I still love that. Go stick your head in a pig. (laughs) So last episode, we mentioned that there are songs about the fears of teleportation. Right. Uh, And there were two that were put in the book. Mm -hmm. When we do an episode about the books, we have Kelly read a summary. This way, we are certain Mm -hmm. that the entire story is presented. And that's one less thing that we have to worry about when we're talking about the episode. So she's agreed to recite the lyrics of one of the songs that I will call Take Me Apart. Aldebaran's great. Okay. Algol's pretty neat. Beetlejuice's pretty girls will knock you off your feet. They'll do anything you like, real fast and then real slow. But if you have to take me apart to get me there, then I don't want to go. Singing, take me apart, take me apart. What a way to roam. And if you have to take me apart to get me there, I'd rather stay at home. Sirius is paved with gold, so I've heard it said. By nuts who then go on to say, see Tao before you're dead. I'll gladly take the high road or even take the low. But if you have to take me apart to get me there, then I, for one, won't go. Singing, take me apart, take me apart, you must be off your head. And if you try to take me apart to get me there, I'll stay right here in bed. See, there we go. She did such a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. I love it. Yeah, I'm so glad she's doing our summaries for us. It just... Yeah, she's great. There was another short, fun ditty on the same subject. It was better. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) Well, I was able to have the younger of the two granddaughters of Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings recite the lyrics of this song. Wonderful. I teleported home one night with Ron and Sid and Meg. Ron stole Meggie's heart away and I got Sidney's leg. (laughs) Short and sweet. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so good. That's my second favorite poem or song in the book. My Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. is this next one. Okay. Which is when Marvin was trapped in the deep well of darkness and harnessed to the cricket war computer, he composed short Dolores ditties (laughs) of no tone or indeed tune. (laughs) So Marvin was kind enough to stop by to perform his lullaby. Wonderful. Now the world has gone to bed. Darkness won't engulf my head. 
I can see by infrared how I hate the night. Now I lay me down to sleep, try to count electric sheep. Sweet dream wishes you can keep. How I hate the night. <laughs> That song just <laughs> kills me. That first stanza that has the yeah. darkness won't engulf my head because he can see in infrared just <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. That same rhyming scheme, poetry scheme, seems to be repeated in other places, obviously. Yes. And one of the ones that I can't forget is the in mash when um they're all huddled together trying to stay warm because it's they've got no heat they've got no fuel to turn the stoves mm -hmm. on the minister repeats one and it's now i lay me down to sleep a bag of peanuts at my feet if i should die before i wake give them to my brother jake <laughs> 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 All right. So in tertiary phase, which was the audio version or the radio version of Life, the Universe, and Everything, there was an example of one of the songs that was performed by the people of Cricket, which were like some of the most beautiful and idyllic songs ever written. <laughs> and I recall that when we discussed this, we... We had a little bit of banter about whether or not this was one of their best songs ever written or just one of the songs they happen to be singing as they're walking through right. the woods. <laughs> right. Well, I guess we also had a conversation that was saying that they couldn't use the most beautiful because then we would just be weeping. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I will try to keep you from weeping. Okay. I will now recite the lyrics of this song for you. All right. Our lovely world so lovely, and everything's so nice, and everyone's so happy beneath the ink-black skies. She is the only one for me. I'm under her spell. I can't resist. We walked hand in hand above the grass. Then in the dark we kissed. Our lovely world so lovely, See how the flowers grow. It's such a shame my dog died. He loved the flowers so. It's so much fun working on the farm. It fills my heart and soul with pride. My wife and kids waiting safe from harm. Makes me feel so warm inside. Our lovely world's so lovely. And everything's so nice. And everyone's so happy beneath the ink-black skies. Oh, that, that, that deserves more, more applause. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> so, Brian, there is one other thing that we do need to include here if we're going to include songs. Okay. And that would be the main song from the movie. <laughs> what a great idea yep i see that <laughs> i was gonna call it the title song however 
the title of the song is So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, and the movie is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, <laughs> theoretically, it's not the title song, but it was the song that played, played. during the title. <laughs> <laughs> what a fine distinction that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I will be the one reciting this, so enjoy. So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. So long, and thanks for all the fish. So sad, that it should come to this. We tried to warn you all, but oh dear. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect for all the natural wonders that grow around you. So long, so long, and thanks for all the fish. The world's about to be destroyed. There's no point in getting all annoyed. Lie back and let the planet dissolve. Despite those nets of tuna fleets, we thought that most of you were sweet, especially tiny tots and your pregnant women. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long. So long, so long, and thanks for all the fish. So long, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We tried to warn you all, but oh dear. Despite those nets of tuna fleets, we thought that most of you were sweet, especially tiny tots and your pregnant women. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long. So long, so long, and thanks for all the fish. All right. <laughs> yeah, see, now that was a lot of so longs in a row. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds better when you sing it, though. <laughs> it definitely, definitely does. The way this whole idea of doing a poetry episode started was when I was just searching online, I found an article that said back in 2014... Archivist Stacy Harmer was looking through old books in a cupboard, that's a closet for us here in the United States, <laughs> at Brentwood School in Essex, which Douglas Adam mm -hmm. had attended. And she found a long-lost poem he wrote in January of 1970, when he was 17 years old. <laughs> so at the school, there was a group called the Candlesticks Society, which would get together and read plays. Douglas Adams was trying to join that group, and they had an initiation process that you had to pass before being allowed to join the group. Part of the initiation to the society was to write and read aloud to the society a poem on the subject of a candle. If the current members liked your poem, they let you join. <laughs> so a poem was penned, and the article stated that the poem was deemed good enough for him to join the group. So before we do our final poetry presentation, I do want to thank, from the bottom of my heart, everybody who participated and submitted recordings of the poetry for this episode. That would be Nathan Laws, host of the 42 cast, for reading the Vogon torture poem, Danny Ortega for his portrayal of Gag Hellfront, 
reading the Green Putty song. Carly rounds for her portrayal of Eccentrica Golumbitz for both of her Zen and her Orion mining song. Dr. Julie Lesnick for reading the real poem about the swan. Lily Lesnick for portraying one of the anonymous granddaughters of Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings. <laughs> Kelly Lesnick for reading Take Me Apart. Lucy Lesnick for portraying the younger of the two anonymous granddaughters of Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings. <laughs> and Jim Berard for his portrayal of Marvin and his lullaby. And a very special thanks to Lorraine Campbell for the following poetry recitation. And now, Digital Watches, our pretty neat idea, bring to you a poem written by Douglas Adams in 1970, performed by Lorraine Campbell. A dissertation on the task of writing a poem on a candle and an account of some of the difficulties thereto pertaining by Douglas Adams. I resisted temptation for this declamation to reach out to literary height. For high aspiration in such an oration would seem quite remarkably trite. So I thought something pithy and succinct and clever was exactly the right thing to write. For nights I sat musing and musing and musing whilst burning the midnight oil. My scratching seemed futile. My muse seemed quite mute while my work proved to be barren toil. I puzzled and thought and wrestled and fought till my midnight oil was exhausted. So I furthered my writing by dim candle lighting and found to my joy this of course did the trick, for I flowered, my work candle-powered, was inspired, both witty and slick. Pithy and polished, my writing demolished, much paper as I beguiled. Myself with some punning, my word-play was stunning, I wrote with the wit of a wild. At length it was finished, the candle diminished, I pondered and let my pride burn. At the great acclamation, the standing ovation, its first public reading would earn. But lost in the rapture of anticipation, and thinking how great was my brilliant creation, I quite failed to note, as I gazed into space, that incinerary things were about to take place that which had ignited my literary passion was about to ignite what my passion had fashioned. And, oh, all was lost in a great conflagration, and I just sat there and said, Hell and damnation! For the rest of the night and the following day, my muse in the meantime had flitted away, alarmed, no doubt, at the ornamentation my language acquired with increased consternation. So unhappily the fruits of my priceless endeavor are lost to the literary world forever. For now I offer this poem instead, which explains in itself why the others unsaid. Thank you for listening to Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea. Look for us the first Thursday of every month for a full episode. 
we will also release a bonus episode later in the month. A very special thanks goes out to Luke, Max, Greg, and Tim Lesnick for arranging and performing our opening theme. We would also like to thank our talented friends and family for their voice work on our introductions and commercials. Visit our website at digitalwatchesareaprettyneatidea.buzzsprout.com where you can find links to all my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy-inspired t-shirt designs. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube as Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea, on Instagram as Watches Idea Podcast, and on Twitter at Watches Idea. If you'd like to contact us, our email is digitalwatchespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> This has been a Fruits for Thought production.